is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman today. Some major, major shakeups in the cable world today. Earthquake-like Tucker Carlson out at Fox News. Don Lemon out at CNN. We're going to go in-depth to talk about what happens now. A big box store could be going out of business. That might mean no more big blue and white coupons in the mail. And also the rain could be uh, giving people a fever up north. Talking about gold fever. And I understand we're going to be talking to somebody who sounds like his name. (laughs) We'll explain. Yes, looking forward to that. But right now we are starting with the seismic changes in cable news. We have a panel today to talk about this. Eric Wemple is the Washington Post media critic. Stacey Shoulder is an Emmy Award-winning TV news producer who is currently at the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. And Les Rose is a professor of broadcast and digital journalism at Syracuse. Also worked for CBS News for decades. Stacey, <laughs> I, I'm going to start with you. The, the LA Times is reporting that Rupert Murdoch personally fired Tucker over concerns about his January 6th coverage, the conspiracy theories about government agents being involved. His his contract was just renewed uh, uh, last year or in 2021 for multiple years. Was this firing a part of the terms of the settlement with Dominion? And if so, will we ever find that out? Do you think NDAs would be in place over information like that? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I that was my first thought that this could have been part of the settlement or maybe it's just a move in a new direction for Fox. No, I don't think that we we will find that out. I mean, you know, oftentimes these are part of NDAs. And I was actually surprised that we found out the money, um, the fact that we found out there was $787 million. So I don't know that we'll ever really know. Um, but I do think it definitely um, is fallout from the Dominion case. And uh, Les uh, Rose, uh, this question for you, you know, there's a lot of speculation, of course, that that is one that we just heard that, uh, you know, it had something to do with the Dominion settlement, maybe maybe Dominion pushed a little bit. But there are some other sources saying uh, that it has to do with uh, Carlson's comments that he made about Fox management uh, playing a role in this. And that came out uh, during discovery uh, before the Dominion lawsuit. And also that uh, there's also another source saying that it might have to do with the insurance company that covers Fox News going to be covering uh, at least part of the settlement with Dominion. And they're saying, look, we're going to cover this, but if you, unless you fire Tucker Carlson, we're not going to cover you anymore. What do you make of the strength of either of those? Let's call them conspiracy theories, because at this point, that's what they are. Well, first of all, nobody loves money uh, more than Fox management. So I, I think they could handle name calling. Uh, but I think they're not only interested in what they just had to shell out, but they're also interested in what's coming with the smart tech lawsuit is still to come. And if they got in this much trouble with Tucker on board, they they got to make a move uh, to smart tech. Now, this is the interesting scenario is now that Tucker is not working for Fox. Is he going to seek revenge by cooperating with the smart tech investigation? All right, uh, losing uh, less uh, there. Go back to Stacy. What do you make of that? Do you think this has to do? I think he's referring to Smartmatic, uh, that lawsuit which is coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. Is, is this going to be a defense for Fox saying, "Hey, no, we fired that guy. We're okay, right?" Yeah, well, I mean, Tucker was definitely, you know, one of the biggest offenders with all those text messages that we saw 
Um, sure, that's part of it. But I also think, you know, Fox has a reputation. I mean, they have, you know, millions of viewers, and I'm sure, you know, some of them are going to be very dissatisfied and, and disappointed that that Carlson isn't there. Um, but for the future of Fox News, and just as we saw, you know, today with the future of CNN, you know, maybe there's maybe there's a push toward, you know, facts and doing the news. I mean, to some extent, or maybe I'm just being an optimist. All right. I want to ask Eric this uh, question. Could his firing be completely unrelated to the Dominion settlement? Uh, an unintended consequence is uh, something new and damaging to stuff discovered during uh, discovery during Dominion's lawsuit. Could it be related to another lawsuit that a Fox News producer right now has currently against Fox and Tucker Carlson? She was a producer. She claimed she was coerced into giving misleading testimony during the Dominion trial. She says she was in a hostile environment with full of sexism and, and other things. Could it be con- uh, you know connected to that or all of the above? It could be all of the above. Um, there's not a lot that's known about it right now. A couple of things I wanted to just sort of clarify. One is that Tucker Carlson was not a prime target of the Dominion suit. There were 20 statements that were at issue in that suit, and Tucker Carlson was responsible for one of them. Lou Dobbs was responsible for 10 or 12 of them. And Maria Bartiromo and Janine Pirro were the other two major ones. Tucker was not a big deal in that. The Smartmatic case, similarly, Tucker is not a very high-profile figure in the Smartmatic case. It, it mentions him like six times. It mentions Lou Dobbs tens or even maybe even hundreds of times. So he was not a prime target of the, the suit, although he was obviously his text messages talking about his colleagues did surface in the Dominion suit. So mm-hmm. uh, Fox News management found out a lot about what Tucker feels about them through the Dominion suit. Is this really surprising that Don Lemon is gone? I feel like the writing has been on the wall for at least the last six months. He was moved from his primetime slot to the CNN's revamped morning show, which was spun as a promotion. His on-air comments about Nikki Haley not being in her prime um, you know, some other indiscretions apparently made by other employees that he's not the friendliest to work with. Is this really a surprise that he's been fired? Uh, the the run-up that you just outlined is very much accurate and correct. And it, uh, this is the way these things often go is that little, little uh, problems uh, mushroom into bigger problems. There's some reporting out there that the uh, the conversation that he had with the GOP presidential candidate last week also figured into the mix. I don't quite understand that because he seemed to be just uh, jostling with this uh, candidate in a way that is, has a, a long and storied tradition in cable news. Um, so I feel like Lemon, yeah, we could have seen this come. His comments about Nikki, Nikki Haley really were preposterous. Um, but as we know from watching Tucker Carlson, um, there, there, there are two different scales that are at work here. Uh, Tucker Carlson's been doing far worse for many years. Uh, and it just goes to show you a little bit how unforgiving the CNN audience and leadership are. But I would also point to the fact that CNN is really, really tr- uh, going through a, uh, an anguish-ridden period here where they're trying to figure out how to find uh, a way forward and to find an audience for their product. 
Yeah, Eric, I wanted to ask you about that uh, with uh, CNN. You know, uh, since Chris Licht has uh, taken over at uh, CNN, uh, ratings have been down, down, and and also down. And uh, he's been trying some new shows. He's got another one coming up called uh, King Charles, which uh, pairs Gail King with uh, Charles Barkley. And some people are already kind of rolling their eyes at that. His experiment with Bill Maher doesn't appear to have worked out well. Uh, is this a bad sign for Chris Lick? Because he promoted Don Lemon from his uh, uh, successful nighttime show to uh, the morning uh, show, show, which was not as, uh, not as successful. Is this a bad sign for Chris? I think it is. I think it is. Although, you know, I don't want to predict any sort of wobbliness in his, uh, his, you know, uh, his position. It's just impossible to predict. But, you know, look, you come in there, he basically sat on his hands for several months, didn't do any major changes, basically tinkered with the lineup, moved people around. This is a little bit more of that. It's, we're talking about a guy here who's really, really doesn't know what the hell to do because CNN, if it doesn't get the floods or the wars or, or whatever, CNN has always had trouble getting ratings. Um, and Licht is trying to, I think, sexify their air a little bit, make it a little, give it a little more pop with the King Charles, you know, Gail King and Charles Barkley. I too think that that's kind of an abdication to use the King <laughs> terminology. But uh, and I don't think it's very promising because why would you tune in for just one program of fun and games when the rest of the rest sure. of the program is straightforward news? Sure. It just doesn't make much sense. Right. One show can't save the whole network. And speaking of that, Licht was brought on to reshape CNN. He made layoffs, reassignments. He's been clear about shifting the network back to a less political and less partisan news outlet. However, there were doubts about whether or not he could do that because he came from a background as a showrunner and EP for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, executive vice president of special programming. Does that translate into uh, being the head of a global news organization? And is Lemons firing part of that strategy to shift back to less partisan news? I definitely think it is. I definitely think that Chris, I, I actually worked with Chris many years ago and, you know, and he, he's definitely a hard news guy. Yes. I know the new show with, um, you know, Gail and uh, Barclays is not news really. That's a whole different, that's a whole different thing. But I, I do think that, you know, with Lemon, I don't know why they moved him to a morning show because I think that was a bad move. Don Lemon doesn't really belong on a morning show. But but that said, um, you know, the comments that he made, um, his so opinionated that I think that I do think that Chris was trying to get away from that a little bit. And then when it became more offensive, you know, there was a line. And obviously, you know, we saw that that Lemon, you know, was, you know, reprimanded and I guess had to undergo some special training um so yeah the writing was on the wall as far as that is concerned and i do think that they're trying to go a little more center um and then maybe you know pop in some other shows that are going to somehow draw some ratings but i i don't think chris is on his way out all right uh les rose uh, wanted to ask you uh about the possible future of journalism on uh, cable news which is you know a few black eyes uh and a lot of cable news dominated by uh partisan talk either on the right or the left uh not quite so much success with anyone trying to hew to the middle so much but with uh don lemon gone from cnn and tucker carlson gone from fox news uh les do you think that uh fox news might be trying to hew back towards something a little bit more uh, reasonable and not quite so french well uh first of all they had that word news in their name uh fox entertainment 
thank you, the Simpsons and other such are, are certainly respectable. But, but you know, if you want to make fun of it, everyone in some circles I happen to know called it FAUX news for faux news because it seemed like they did almost anything, anything but. Um, I respect incredibly uh, a lot of Fox News reporters I know personally, but, but they stood by O'Reilly for so long, and I don't blame them. They, they had a, a hit there. But what, what frustrates me is there's no delineation between their quote-unquote opinion shows, which they always say, oh, no, that was an opinion show, and what constitutes an actual news show. Mm. And it's shit. I'm serious. It's you, you got to figure out if you're calling yourself Fox News, shouldn't it be a news corporation or a right. news division of Fox and not like more entertainment? All right, uh, guys, thank you so much. Uh, we have solved uh, all the problems of uh, cable news uh, <laughs> yeah, right sure. here on this show. I want to thank our uh, guests. We had a panel on with us today, Stacy Shoulder at uh, USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism, uh, Lee Rose at uh, Syracuse University, and Eric Wimple at the Washington Post. Coming up, California could be in for another gold rush. We're going to tell you how and why. Right now, though, President Biden could announce as early as tomorrow that he is running for re-election. But some recent polls show that most people would rather both he and former President Trump just kind of right off into the sunset. Maybe not together, but, you know, in that direction. Mark Sandalo is a political analyst with the University of California Center in Washington, D.C. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I'm here. Oh, there you are. All right. So uh, my fat finger hit the wrong button, and I apologize for that. <laughs> okay. uh, so uh, people are, are showing some kind of exhaustion over the idea of a rematch between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump again in 2024. First of all, without getting into the prospects that Donald Trump will actually make it to the Republican nomination, given all the, the trouble that he's got coming down the pike, uh, there's a lot of reticence on the part of Democrats about uh, Mr. Biden. Uh, they they like his policies. They think he's done a good job, but there is some concern about his age. But this exhaustion over uh, a rematch, will that... Is that going to change by the time we get closer to the election, we get closer to the real campaign season? Oh, I think they'll be exhausting about it. But you remember, I mean, this is not an entertainment show, even though it is often portrayed that way. You know, it's it's to become the leader of the free world. And whether people are tired of it or not, you know, will have little to do with. Um, I mean, I, I do think the reason the Democrats are concerned is his age and everything. I mean, Rob, just now you were saying, oh, you put your finger on the wrong button. When Biden does that, everyone assumes, oh, well, what do you expect from an 80-year-old? And it's a problem because, I mean, I sort of hope that I'm not as in charge of as many things or of anything like that, like Biden's doing when I'm 80 years old. And, you know, the concern that you'll have an 80, you'll have almost a 90-year-old president when he finishes his term is very, very concerning. But it's the alternative that keeps people in Biden's camp. It's because Democrats, they don't want Biden to run, but they do not want Donald Trump. And that's sort of the major motivating factor to why they're rallying behind Biden at this point. And, Mark, you know, we're not seeing resounding support for any of the potential challengers either on the Republican side. DeSantis, Nikki Haley on the Democratic side, Kennedy Jr., uh, Marianne Williamson. Those polls are even lower than expected is there any chance or is it realistic to think other more viable candidates on either side might swoop in with a surprise campaign for the presidency and have a real chance of winning? 
at this point, I mean, let's start with the Democrats. It really looks unlikely. You know, something, you know, as an 80-year-old president, something could happen. And if something happens to Biden's health, then somebody's going to have to step up. And interestingly, it's two Californians who would be most likely. You know, the vice president, Kamala Harris, and lots of polls show that Gavin Newsom is would be the number two person who would be considered not Kamala Harris. I mean, he's way ahead in the, the prediction polls about who would who would take over if Biden weren't fit. Uh, so, you know, that's possible. But at this point, anybody with a future, and this goes for the Republican Party, too, anyone with a big future doesn't want to challenge, you know, the king, because if they don't win, they're doomed. I mean, Kamala Harris has something like 10 more election cycles. That's about eight, maybe, until she gets to be Biden's age. So she's got a long time to run if she ever wants to become president. And I think most of them think it's just not worth it to do that right now. And speaking of Gavin Newsom, uh, you know, he he seems to have become a, a particularly savvy player on the field. He read the room about, uh, you know, taking on uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and getting a lot of kudos from a lot of Democrats who maybe didn't think that highly of him before, but now see him as a kind of a fighter. Now, if he comes out, uh, I, I, you know, I don't see if, if Biden remains in good health and he's running a campaign that uh, that. Uh, uh, Newsom would try to do anything to to challenge him for a nomination, but he certainly is going to be in Biden's camp and campaigning for Biden. Is that a plus for Biden if Gavin Newsom goes uh, wholly in and uh, becomes that happy warrior that people seem to like about him now? It's unclear because, I mean, clearly he would be very helpful in California if California was an issue. California is not an issue. You know, Donald Trump still insists that he won California. If you look at all the undocumented voters, but there's zero evidence to support them. He lost by, what, three and a half million votes. California is not in play. I don't know if Gavin Newsom, you know, traveling to swing states like Ohio, you know, really does any good for Biden at this point. Yeah, I, the, the awkwardness is... If again, when when Biden, I mean, think of like twenty twenty eight. Assuming Biden wins, there's going to be a big fight for the future of the Democratic Party. Kamala Harris will at that point have been vice president for eight years. Be very awkward for the California governor to go after the sitting California vice president. That's certainly a possibility at this point, but that's down the road. I I still I, I watch Biden. Every day and in, in complete awe that he is able to do this. But, you know, we've talked about Dianne Feinstein before in her age. She's almost a decade older than Joe Biden. So mm. you go back a decade in Feinstein's life and, yeah, people were rumbling about it. But no one thought she wasn't capable of being senator back then. Right. Uh, Mark Sandalow, thanks so much for joining us today. Political analyst with the University of California Center in Washington, D.C. You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman. All right, you got to stand by because I've got to sneeze. <laughs> and it, 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 my nose cannot decide if I have to sneeze or not. Oh, uh, it, it has you in limbo. Okay, well. No, it's gone. Okay, it's okay. gone. Uh, who has not been to a Bed Bath & Beyond store? They are everywhere, but maybe not for long. Yeah, where else do you go to find out all the things you never knew you needed? The company just filed for bankruptcy, though, and says it's going to wind up its operations Neil Saunders is an analyst at Global Data Retail. And, Neil, the company admits recent past decisions like being late to e-commerce, buying back too much of its own stock, introducing private-level products that were kind of a flop, contributed to its own demise. Would you say that's it, or is it something bigger like a behemoth like Amazon destroying the business? Well, I certainly think that there have been unfavorable external circumstances. There's a lot more competition in retail now, including from Amazon, 
Target has improved its home office, so it's more of a competitor. Walmart has been beefing up e-commerce. So there's a lot more competition out there. But it is true that Bed Bath & Beyond didn't really do the right things. It stopped focusing on the customer. It took some wrong moves in terms of the developments it was doing strategically. And that cost it custom and it cost it sales. And ultimately, it's arrived at this position of bankruptcy. You know, a lot of people look at uh, things like Bed Bath & Beyond and say, well, you know, they should have focused on online sales uh, sooner than they did. And that seems to be the answer for every store that's going belly up. But in a lot of cases, I don't think the answer is that simple. And uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, some companies just even even the ones that try to get a presence online don't wind up doing that well. Uh, so is it? it's not just a case that anybody can go, oh, we're going to go online and, and focus more on online sales now. That's not going to work for everyone, is it? No, you're absolutely right. And I think online is the biggest excuse out there in terms of retail failure. Everyone's, oh, it's due to online. We failed. Oh, we need to go online. The blunt truth is the vast majority of retail sales in the U.S. still go through stores. And that includes the homewares and home furnishings industry. Most sales are made through stores. And if you look at a player like Wayfair, which is online, it has grown sales very fast, but it makes huge losses. It's not exactly a success story. So online isn't a panacea. It's not a silver bullet. It isn't the solution to everything. What you need to do is have a great online presence, but accompany that with great stores that people want to visit. That's where real success happens. It's when you deliver across all the different channels that consumers use and you do it well. Unfortunately, Bed Bath & Beyond didn't do very well online, but it didn't do very well in stores either. So it lost out on both fronts. So after seeing what happened here with Bed Bath & Beyond, what do you think the future looks like for other big box stores like Target and Walmart? Well, I think for Target and Walmart, they will be absolutely fine. Target and Walmart have invested a lot in stores, especially Target. The vast majority of sales are still driven through stores. And they're generalists. So people go there for all sorts of different things, including grocery. When you move out of that kind of mass merchant space, the general merchandise stores, and you look at specialists like Bed Bath & Beyond, that's where it gets a little bit more challenging. I think those retailers, they face competition from online. They face competition from the giants like Walmart and Target. And so they've really got to work hard to differentiate. But there are a lot of specialists, even in the home space, that are doing very well through stores. So it can be done, but you've just got to provide something different and give people a reason to come to your store versus the competition. And a quick question as we come to the end of the segment here. Would you say that a lesson for the remaining big box stores is to be very, very cognizant of what the in-store experience is? I recall going into Bed Bath & Beyond, getting a lot of stuff, but I remember the stores when I walked in felt a little kind of run down. They were overly packed. It just seemed like a kind of a warehouse, whereas even when you go into a higher-end store, you've got that feeling of classiness. I think of walking into an Apple store as opposed to an old Circuit City back in the day. But even Target has uh, taken a lot of strides recently in trying to make their store a little bit more of a classier experience when you walk inside. You feel like there's a lot of care being taken here. Is that a, a, a lesson that Bed Bath & Beyond missed? Oh, it's definitely one they missed. Because, look, if you want a warehouse and you just want stock 
that's piled up. Well, that's online. You can choose from thousands of things online. That's the warehouse. What stores have got to do is something different. And that difference is experience. It's engaging the customer, making the customer feel good about the visit. You know, it costs a lot to drive anywhere now with gas. You want that drive and that trip to be worth it. And that means having a great in-store experience. And Unfortunately, Bed Bath & Beyond, well, it left the experience very much as it was in the pre-internet era, which doesn't work nowadays. All right. Thank you so much, Neil Saunders, analyst at uh, Global Data Retail. All right. Coming up next, been waiting all day to say this, Rob. There's gold in them, our <laughs> hills. Okay. So if you remember your California history, there was a gold rush in the mid-1800s that brought thousands of settlers out here looking to strike it rich. Fast forward to today, and it's the sequel. It's happening again, a new gold rush up north, and it's because of the rain. With us now to explain the recent surge in panning for gold is... Uncle Fuzzy! Uncle Fuzzy, who's a prospect reminder in Placerville, and that's in between uh, Sacramento and Lake Tahoe. Uh, Uncle Fuzzy, do you prefer to go by Uncle or Fuzzy? Uh, just fuzzy. Okay, fuzzy. That's all. Uh, so you've been out panning for gold. Why all of a sudden? Explain to us how the rain helps there to be more gold to pan for. Well, with the rain and especially the snow, what we will do is the rivers will come up and they will start running hard. And so when the rivers run hard, the gold will be moved around. Now, gold is 19 times heavier than water. So it's going to be at the bottom, and it loves to be pushed by the water. Okay, so, so if it's, it's floating, it's, it's not gold. <laughs> Keep that in mind. No, <laughs> if it's floating, it's probably pyrite. Okay, so I got to ask you, uh, as someone who's done this for quite a long time, panning for gold, can you say how much you've been able to extract uh, after these rains and the snow melts? Well, we haven't been out yet. The water at most places are pretty high and it's cold. Oh. But over the years, I've been able to make uh, do enough to pay for all my equipment and whatever. So know. is it dangerous right now then for, for regular folk to go out there and, and try to pan for gold right now? Or what's your recommendation on that? And can just regular people go up there when it's time? Well, yes. I would probably – we're staying out of the rivers. Some of the side – creeks and so on you can get into but the water is real cold and if you get into the rivers or any big streams it's moving very fast i mean they even cut me back on the uh, raptors a little bit because it's too dangerous for everybody and where to go that's a good question because a lot of land all over california is claimed up through the BLM Bureau of Land Management and private property. So there are ways to do your research before you go out. Yeah, because you know, if you're panning for gold in somebody else's property, it's it's kind of theirs, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's theirs. It's, and some people get kind of upset about that, too. Mm. Fuzzy, let me ask you, uh, uh, Elsa and I make uh, okay money doing what we do, uh, but would it be worth, us, uh, worth it for us to give it up and go pan for gold? Can someone really strike it rich? You can strike it rich, but the, the prospects of hitting the big mother load are probably going to be pretty slim. But here again, you guys have done a lot of education. You learned your communication. Same thing with the gold. You've got to get out there and learn where it is, how to get it. And so forth. So do your research. Okay. So is there a right way and a wrong way to do it? I understand, and just some of my reading that you can't use things that will destroy the environment, like 
power washers and and high pressure dynamite. streams dynamite you know not recommended um, but is there a proper way to do <laughs> is there a proper way to do this for people who uh, are going to do this and maybe take the families up there well you know the easiest way to do it of course is use a pick and shovel with a pan and get into the streams get wet and learn how to pan learn how to distinguish the gold from the pyrite and now Ashton, California, we can do some uh, dredging. Uh, there's been some laws passed and some negotiation between uh, fishing game and fishing wildlife that we can do it. It's very going to be restrictive and so on. But don't do it by yourself. Take somebody with you. Go join a club. South Southern California's got a lot of stuff. You've got a lot of gold out in the deserts that's going to be moved around. And, you know, all that snowpack's going to come someplace, and it's going to come down to the streams and move everything around. Anything other than gold that you could find that would be worth it? Well, not worth it, but, you know, there's a few places where you're going to find a little bit of platinum. You're going to find uh, semi-precious stones. We get a lot of garnets up in this area. You're going to find, if you're out in the desert, you may come across fossils. If you're on on um, certain areas are restricted to take. So there again, it's all about the education, how you're going to learn to do it. Join a club down there. Join a club up here. I'm in about three of them. So. Are there places up there where people can get that kind of quintessential stuff you need to mine for gold? You know, the, the old-fashioned pictures you see with the pickaxes and the pans and the boots and yeah, all that kind up, of stuff. Up in our area, there's, that's Placerville Hardware has quite a selection of stuff to take out to the field. Pioneer Mining's over in Auburn. They have the same thing. And they will help you learn a little bit. Placerville calls me. Sometimes I take people out, and we go out, and we look and, and teach them. It's a teaching process. All right. Uh, thank you so much. Uncle Fuzzy. Uh, joining us from uh, Placerville and panning for gold, uh, all the rain there, moving stuff around the rivers. You can pan for gold and uh, maybe not strike it rich, but maybe make a few extra bucks when you turn on that gold in. Just make sure you don't take it from somebody else. <laughs> and property. make sure it's not fool's gold. Right, that pyrite, <laughs> fool's pyrite. gold. Uh, as I understand, what I, what I learned from that entire segment, Elsa, was that uh, pyrite floats. Yeah, that floats, doesn't. it's if, not If gold. I forget everything else, I won't forget that part, okay. so I'll, I'll know that much. <laughs> All right, that's it for In Death Today. We'll be back tomorrow 